It's series three of the Artists in Residence podcast and we are chuffed to have you with us. Last series we spoke to the likes of It's Nice That Senior Editor, the co-founder of Inner City Swim Club Swim Dem Crew and the filmmaker behind the remake of Christina Aguilera's iconic beautiful music video about what it meant to them to use creativity for good as well as to share real examples of how people are acting on those good ideas and turning them into action. My name is Isabel Wilkinson and I started this project as a way to personally answer some big questions I had about creativity, problem solving, art and who creative opportunities are available to. My goal is to bring people together to share their ideas and work together to drive forward solutions to the big issues affecting people and the planet. When it comes to the hardest questions, consider this your invitation to join the table and create answers, because together we can all be artists in residence. Jyothi Patel is an author who has always known that she wanted to write and create art. Her debut novel, The Things That We Lost, came out this January 2023 from Murky Books after Jyothi won the 2021 Murky Books New Writers Prize. The Things That We Lost is a gorgeous and heartbreaking story that explores what it means to be a person of colour in Britain today and an exploration of family, loss and ultimately love. It discusses the nature of identity, belonging and the stories we tell ourselves to manage trauma. I adored talking with Jyothi about her creative influences growing up, how she went from writing for joy to falling out of love with it to winning the Murky New Writers Prize and publishing The Things That We Lost. And... We talked so much about her goal to tell a story that centres a British Gujarati family who don't fall into stereotypes. If you're looking for a new read recommendation, I wholeheartedly point you in the direction of the things that we lost. I hope you enjoy listening in on our conversation. I have to start by congratulating you on not only kind of writing this incredible book, but publishing it and promoting it and it's such a gorgeous, gorgeous story. So huge congrats to you. And how do you feel? How does it feel having it out in the world? So exciting. So exciting. It's something that I worked on for a very long time. I started writing it in like the summer of 2018, We sort of got a messy draft written, left it for six months, picked it up again. And I was definitely one of these people who wrote this novel and wrote just full stop, not because I thought it would sell or because I even necessarily saw it on bookshelves but more because I just felt like I needed to write it and it was a sort of story that I couldn't find historically growing up specifically like a story that follows a British Gujarati family like you know the culture that I've grown up in um so to have it published itself was like such a dream and also for it to be received the way it has um has just been beyond anything I expected as well well, it's so incredibly worthy. It's it's a really gorgeous book and I, I've got a chapter left to read. So as soon as we hop off, I'm going to do that. Um, and we'll come on to your writing more generally. But I have to ask you the question we ask everyone, which is what does the topic of creativity mean to you? Yeah, so creativity to me is is a bunch of things. I think primarily for me, it means freedom and it means expression Um, And I think those things have probably been talked about quite a lot in terms of creativity, but in terms of like writing and the sort of creativity that I sink into, I think the most important part is connection. Um, And by that, I mean two ways. I mean, in terms of like when I'm writing, 
I'm making connections between things and articulating things that people feel that they themselves sometimes would not be able to articulate. So I'm seeing and drawing and illustrating connections that people feel but they can't express often. But then also, for me, the reason why I started writing and the beauty in it is the ability to connect with people through the written word as well. So yeah, for me, it's it's freedom, it's expression, but it's above all, it's about connection you know, that really applies to writing, but also, you know, in the book specifically as well, I talk about one of the characters, Avni, and how music and art allow her to, like, find herself and they allow her to connect the two parts of herself. And I think all sorts of art and creativity are really, in, in essence, like a type of connection between things, between people, between the creator and those consuming the art too. I couldn't agree more. And And I've listened to you talk about this idea of the power of words to heal how that is as essential to society and people as being a doctor or an engineer. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that and why it was important for you to tackle kind of these huge topics of identity and belonging in this story and and turn it into art? Yeah, so thank you. So I think I think I mentioned that in a previous interview and it was when I was younger, I read Sylvia Platt's The Bell Jar. And in that, there's a, a moment where she's talking about like, people being made up of dust and she doesn't see how doctoring that dust is any better than writing poetry and words that people can relate to and find comfort in and being I don't know 13 14 year old at the time um I remember being really moved by that and then I I came back to that again when I was 16 and I was picking out what A-levels I wanted to do essentially thinking about the career that I wanted to have and I was like most British Indian kids and most you know kids who've grown up in practical immigrant families was being encouraged towards medicine and engineering and, and you know, things like that. And I was like, no, I want to be a writer. And I remember that quote kept coming back to me as a kid of like, words and art and creativity have as much power in my mind and as much importance as, you know, like Sylvia Platt was saying, the ability to physically heal people. And even as a kid, I'd found that power in, in the books that I nestled into. Um, that they had the ability to move me and to heal me in ways that I couldn't really articulate at the time. And yeah, I think just communication and like we talked about connection and art and they can often express things that we as humans feel but can't articulate. Um, and and yeah, in the book, I talk about how one of the main characters, Avni, is able to amalgamate and express and see an expression of both the British and the Indian parts of her in, for example, Sheila Chandra performing ever so lonely on top of the pops, you know, or in um, the mixture of Eastern and Western music or art. Um, So, yeah. That insight of almost, I don't know what I feel until I write it is something that I have really kind of played with over the years. And I think it comes to this idea of writing as therapy and writing, as you say, to heal. So, I'd love to know, you said as like a young kid, you were, you wanted to be a writer. Do you remember when you first started writing? Do you remember a specific moment or has that just been something you've always done? And what did that look like kind of earlier in your life and, and now? Yeah, I think when I was younger, it was just generally being creative that I was so drawn to, whether it was like mm. literally drawing or making up games that me and my mates would play in the playground or um, writing scripts. I remember writing a script for a play when I was like 12 or 13 and 
thinking it was the best thing in the world, not the script, but the act of doing it and the feeling that I felt when I did it. Um, And I remember writing like ever since I was like, I don't know, six or seven, like writing little stories and like drawing pictures and writing made up little scenarios next to them. I just, I always felt my best when I was creating. I always felt like it was coming from a very, I was accessing like a different part of me. Um, And I remember being, like I say, when I was younger, so moved by the feeling that I felt when I was creating, whether it was painting or playing or writing, but also the feeling that I felt when I consumed art. So when I was listening to music or looking at a piece of art for like hours in a gallery or um, reading a book, and I think it was something that I just kept returning to and the the deeper that I sunk into it and the more that I learned about it, the more I fell in love with it. Um, And yeah, coming back to like when I was, I don't know, 16 and saying like, I really want to be a writer in some way or I want to study English at uni. I could never see anyone really, certainly not in my family or the people that we grew up around who had done that. And also I couldn't see it in like bookshelves or um, in art really at all. Um, And I think that was something that could have stopped me. And in many ways it did stop me from telling the kinds of stories I wanted to write or I wanted to tell, Um, which is why I think, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this in more depth later, but I think representation is so important specifically for young kids. Um, It almost gives them permission to feel like there is space for them and they're allowed to, to nurture and to like feed those parts of themselves Again, specifically, when you don't come from a family, you don't come from a background that's celebrated that kind of, you know, um, you know, spending your time in that way, essentially. So what art or what music did feed you as a kid? So I, I was I would read anything I could get my hands on as a kid. I remember like when I was probably about 16, again, really falling in love with like the romantics and the lake poets, that period in, in, in literature, because so much of it was about like, expression and emotion over reason which I think is very relatable when you're a 16 year old in terms of like films as well like I remember for example watching Bend It Like Beckham as a kid and being like oh my god people like me are allowed to exist in film you know and I recognize parts of London I recognize cultural elements um and also in music like I was really I was I grew up around a lot of music but my parents would always play a lot of music and I remember really like, for example, listening to the Bansuri flute, which is an Indian, um, which is an Indian flute and like falling in love with that as a kid and just being so moved by like, I'd, I'd, I'd at school um, and, you know, my neighbour was a piano teacher and I'd learned about like Western music and the Western music system. And then all of a sudden I was introduced to like Indian classical music and Rajasthani music and like the way that all of that is built on like improvisation and how it's so different to like western music which is also perfectly formed and structured so even those sort of boundaries as a kid and seeing the differences between them and seeing them being mixed together just really inspired me in so many ways and ways that I didn't recognize at the time but now looking back I can see really fueled the kind of literature that I write. It is so funny how these experiences shape us but as you say it's so common to not be able to make sense of them at the time and only looking back you go oh I was always drawn to this or this expression or that. On to your writing you studied an MA in creative writing and you you did that before you won the murky new writers prize 
what did that time look like? So you wanted to be a writer. How did you get to, you know, publishing the things that we lost? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something that's quite messy to untangle because it just feels like a whirlwind that whole period because I so even before I did the masters I'd done an undergrad in English lit with creative writing and it was that classic thing of you know studying something you love and falling out of love with it I'd written creatively and been creative my whole life up until that point and as soon as I graduated I threw myself into a career in marketing and no matter how hard I tried I could not write and for three or four years nothing came I tried so hard nothing came And then I sort of got to a period and a stage in my career where I was cruising a bit and I had got to a stage quicker than I expected to. And I I allowed my my mental, I guess my psyche, a little bit of breathing space. And when I did that, I remember sitting on my mum's sofa at one point and the conversation between Rohan, who's the grandfather in the book, and Nick, who's one of the protagonists, just came to me. And I started writing it. And three months later, I had a very messy draft of a novel that was totally unexpected and that I had not planned. And it was the first time ever that I'd written a piece of work about characters who looked and sounded like me. All of the stories, and even my dissertation at uni and my undergrad, and everything that I'd written up until that point were about like British white families, because that's what I'd always read. (laughs) And it was that cliche of not seeing it and not believing that, you you know, it can exist within you or, you know, you can't see it, you can't be it if you can't see it. It was that classic cliche. Um, And this was the first story I'd ever written about a British Gujarati character, let alone a British Gujarati family. And I left it, like I said, picked it up, left it. Then my mum said to me, like, you've always wanted to do the MA in creative writing at the same uni that I did my undergrad in. And I was like, mum, that's so hard to get into. Like, there's no way they're going to accept me. I'll probably have to apply like five or six times and then I'll finally find some pity and be like, go on. (laughs) She really wants this. We must let her in. (laughs) Um, Exactly. But I applied and I got in and I remember crying so much when I got in because it was a bucket list it was the first piece of validation of I thought I'd lost the writer in me and then it came back and it was the first piece of validation of like I think this actually might have legs and I think I might be able to take this part of myself seriously for the first time in my life so yeah I did the MA it was absolutely transformative it was probably one of the most transformative years of my life for more reasons than just what I learned and the friends I made and the tutors that I met Um, and the way it all influenced me in my work but I finished that MA and I think it was like the week I got my results my flatmates were out and I was on on my own at home and one of my friends had posted about the Murky Books New Writers Prize and I applied and yeah got long listed got shortlisted and then won and at that stage I was working on the second draft of my novel so I had a very messy first draft when I went to the UEA came out of it with like only a third of that draft intact. I totally picked apart the way I was telling the story. I couldn't find my way to the end of the story, but just the validation I had of being longlisted and shortlisted and speaking to the editors um, and speaking to the murky team and them championing my work and telling me to keep going with it. But I think the week I won, I finished that second draft, which was just like so much serendipity and like, yeah. got really special. Um, and yeah, then I, I got the book deal. And then what, eight, 18 to almost two years later the book's come out now because I won in April of 2021 and the book came out in January this year absolutely incredible and as I say like huge congratulations because it is no small feat I wonder if you can unpick the the murky submission process for us a little bit then so 
you didn't submit the things that we lost or you, what, what, how did that work? So at the time, the novel was called Six of One, which is um, based on the idiom of like six of one and half a dozen of the other, which is this idea of equivalence, which comes up a lot in the novel, like two things equaling the same, really. Um, but we realised that no one actually knew what that meant when we changed the title, which is far better. And I love it so much now more than I did the original. But coming back to your question, like it was called Six of One and I submitted a chapter, which is now the beginning of chapter three, which is when Avni, the mother in the novel, so it's told between Avni and her son Nick. So the mother is standing at the banks of the river Ganga in India, pouring her father's ashes into the river. Um, and she's reflecting on her life and what's to come. And it basically introduced like a bunch of themes in the novel. And I think it really showed off like my voice as a writer and like um, the voice in the novel. Um, and then I submit that it was just one chapter. And then I think when I was shortlisted, they asked for anything else. And I had this very messy draft and I said, I'm just going to send them one more neat chapter, yeah. mixed perspective, which is the chapter um, sort of deeper into the book when him and Paul go for a walk along the beach. Um, and they're talking about, you know, Avni's guilt and uh, Avni in general, really, and their relationship as, you know, ex-stepfather and stepson. Um, and yet it was just those two chapters, really. Um, and then when I won, I, I worked with my agent and my editor to, to edit the novel. And it was a really lovely process because for the first time I was working on this thing that meant so much to me, but I'd done so quietly and like in stolen hours around work and totally on my own. But I had people to like bounce ideas off and it felt just really nice having that support of like an agent and an editor alongside you. Do you think that the book would have come to life without that experience? I really don't know. And I, 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 I've said before that I don't think it would. And I've been told off for not having enough faith in myself. <laughs> genuinely, because of like the way the publishing industry is, mm. Murky exists because they, they want to create space on bookshelves for untold stories and for authors who historically haven't seen themselves in literature. And this book is that, and I am that too. Like I embody that so much in both what I've written and who I am. Um, and I would like to hope that there's enough hope and faith in the publishing industry that this book would have eventually ended up on bookshelves. But I really doubt without Murky that it would have happened at this point. Um, and I doubt that without, you know, imprints like Murky and schemes that champion diversity in authors, but also diversity in gatekeeping positions within industries like publishing, like books like this just wouldn't exist. Like, I think that's a sad fact and I even struggle to, to articulate that but I think that's the reality um and I also think the book wouldn't be what it is if I hadn't done the masters because you know that I don't think everyone should do you know masters and I don't think you need to to write a book but for me because I am someone who enjoys theory and reading like at the moment I'm reading loads of books about writing I love that I'm such such a nerd for all of that stuff that sort of um, the boundaries within which and the, the sort of guardrails within which I was allowed to explore my creativity on that course and the fact that I was allowed to take that part of myself seriously was what allowed me to believe in myself and to take the book seriously. Um, so I think without that and without the murky prize, like I just think I would have been floating around, not really sure what I was doing or how to do it. I can totally understand that. And I think floating around 
as a concept makes a lot of sense to me because it's that almost like blank page syndrome and guardrails are a really good thing because they give you the focus to get it finished. So I, I, I completely, completely understand that. In the things that we lost then, as you've mentioned, you deal with these huge topics of family, grief, belonging, identity, and love, you know, that very small topic of love. Um, and you comb through them all so tenderly. What does it mean to you to, beyond representation, to bring all those things out into the world in this book? Yeah, thank you for that. And it was it was an interesting process because I think part of the reason why those things seem to work now for readers is because I took so long to write it and because I left it. And I think the space when I left it to sit and simmer allowed me to then come back to it, but also to really create that psychological depth of the characters and like the things that you're mentioning now, like these big weighty topics to write about them and almost reduce them to like, to exist within a book in a way that feels real. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to like, obviously studying the theory behind it, reading all of that. But again, I don't think any of that stuff is absolutely essential. I think really what is essential is the desire to reflect society as it is and to not shy away from aspects of society, whether they're within a certain culture or whether they're in the much broader topics that impact everyone. To Because this is contemporary realism, so I'm reflecting real life. And I try not to glorify the good bits or the bad bits. Like there's a lot of difficult stuff in this novel. There's abuse, there's child abuse, there's, there's you know, really like significant mental health struggles. There's, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that's not, I guess, in many ways, fun to write or read. But I felt like it was important to reflect those things in a way that felt real. So I guess it was really that desire to like reflect society as it is and my lived experience as a British Indian woman and the experiences of the people that I grew up with and the society that I wanted to reflect like the good parts and the less the less good parts the unsavory parts too one of the standing standout factors for me was particularly the way you dealt with mental health in Nick the protagonist and not particularly naming it but just expressing it how it would come out for a character like Nick in the real world. And as you say, I think that's, it doesn't labor the point too much, but I can imagine a lot of people will read the book and understand the emotions, even if they've never had to interrogate them before. And it comes back to your idea of the power of words to heal. And sometimes someone else writing it out can help you make sense of something you might be going through. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm glad that you've, you've, you've brought that up because it was a big part of the process for me to write it was to look at like what it would be like to be a young brown man um you know living through the world struggling with mental health and specifically being someone like Nick who's raised in the culture of both being British and the historic silence around British men talking about their mental health and articulating the struggles around their mental health but then also the the marriage of him being British but also being raised in a Gujarati family you know he's mixed race he's both British and he's Indian and in lots of South Asian languages, we don't have words for mental health, anxiety, depression. We we quite literally can't articulate what they are. And even the idea of them, these things don't exist in mm -hmm. South Asian cultures because we don't have words for them and we ignore them. Um, and yeah, I wanted to look at what happens when you have a character who, who himself can't articulate these things. 
And then I wanted the form to reflect that. So I never use the words anxiety or depression or panic attacks or anything like that in, in the book. I just use my words to describe what he's feeling in those moments. And yeah, a lot of this book does look at the marriage between like two cultures and what happens when you're in the in this like in the middle of those of that Venn diagram, both in terms of his mother Avni growing up as a British Indian woman in 70s and 80s London, and then Nick growing up as a mixed race man who's racialized as, as Indian, um, and who's grown up in a Gujarati family because his father passes away when he's um, not even yet born. Um, so yeah, I wanted to look at lots of those nuances. A lot of the book as well is about the inability to articulate. Like the center of the story is about Avni, the mother's silence around how her husband, Elliot, Nick's father died and her inability to talk to her son about it. So a lot of the book itself is about the healing power of words, but also how we can hold words back and how like the space when we don't speak can say so much more and the conclusions we can draw. Um, and yeah, the things that we don't articulate. I mean, I guess particularly Nick, how are you then pulling these themes out and writing it so authentically? Yeah, so I think so much of being a good writer is being a good listener and being a good watcher. I know that sounds strange, but I think like observing and watching and noticing nuances and details between people, the things they don't articulate through words, but the things they articulate through their body language or you know, the way they move or the way that they look at each other. I think that's all stuff that you notice when you're an artist or specifically when you are a writer. Um, and there's been so many instances in my life where I've been in social situations where I'll then get in the car with my mates on the way home or my partner, whoever I'm with and say like, did you, did you notice that? And they'll be like, what? No. And I'm like, yeah, like, and then a week later it'll come out that, I don't know, someone's having an affair or like there's this huge thing that we all miss. And I'm like, I told you, I noticed it. And that's just being a writer. Like you just notice things that other people miss, I think, because you pay more attention. Um, and I think that's what I've done. Like growing up, I've just paid a lot more attention. I'm so interested in people. I'm so interested in people. I'm so interested in psychology. I'm so interested in in humans and how we interact and um, I've just always been someone who notices and who pays attention and who has the energy and the interest to do those things. Um, and I think that has meant that I've noticed things growing up or I've noticed things um, throughout my life that have stayed with me and that I've wanted to interrogate or that I haven't understood. So I keep returning to. And a lot of this book is about those things, I guess, like um, the things that when I was growing up or when I just lived through, you know, the last 30 years of my life, like, have stayed with me because I haven't been able to understand them. And then I interrogate them through the act of writing. Um, and I think that's really, I think Sigrid Nunes says that in her book, The Friend, like when you're an, you're a writer, like you, I'm going to butcher this, but she says in that book, like you, if something bothers you, you don't, can't, you can't understand something, you write about it in order to interrogate it and understand it and lay it to rest. And do you go away and like jot in your notes app, like, so and so is doing this like how do you how do you keep hold of all those insights and that watching I think like so when I did my undergrad they always said to us like keep a tiny little notebook and write all these things or write a line a day about whether it's a metaphor or something that you've noticed like I just said and I did that for a bit but I realized that almost in a way the act of writing it down made it too real for me and like just keeping it in my mind and allowing it to come back when I was then writing a story 
was more powerful. So I sort of like think about these things and they live in like a tiny little box somewhere at the back of my head. And then when I'm actually writing and I'm in the flow of it, they'll come back out when they're meant to. And I sort of enjoy that more. I think it's a little bit more romantic doing it like that. Um, And it seems to work for me as well. Is it awful to ask you what's what's next or are you just enjoying this part for now? No, I think it's a lovely thing to ask because it it sort of reminds me that like this thing feels so big right now and there is more to come. And I think I'm just enjoying so much like the publicity and the marketing of the book, like seeing all of that come out and, you know, going and signing books and speaking to readers and booksellers. And I, and I love all of that. Like I'm someone who, like I say, is so interested in people and always has time to stand and talk to people about them themselves and the book and the other things they're reading so I love all that but it's really nice to remind myself that I do have a lot more in me and I am working on the next book and that's also going to follow a British Gujarati family it's also going to be set in London um, and it's also going to be about family secrets but it's going to be a very different book in terms of like it's going to be much lighter hopefully it'll be funnier because this book is like quite serious and dark and meditative and like hopefully beautifully written and hopefully the next one will also be beautifully written but it will just allow me to exercise a slightly different different writing muscle um so yeah I'm really excited to get started with it and to like meet you know get to know this this cast of characters that I'm building for the next novel so yeah I'm really excited for that and I'm also just really enjoying this thing that I've worked on for so long finally being in bookstores and walking past my local indies and and seeing it in the in the windows is just like such a huge dream come true it hasn't got old yet absolutely not I hope it never will <laughs> no I hope not so amazing so if I can ask you one last question what's your advice for the person listening who wants to shoot their shot at the murky new writer's prize or start writing their novel or just has an inkling of an idea that they don't quite know what to do with what would you say to them I'd say to them to not let go of that and to keep working at it. I think it really devastates me when I think about all of the people that I know who've got like brilliant books in them, but they just sort of couldn't find the fuel to just keep going. Or all of the stories I hear about like are people who wanted to be artists, but were nudged along different parts that were more secure or more clearly um, lined, I guess. And I think if there's anyone ever out there whether they want to be a writer or creative specifically younger when I say young I don't mean people who are in age young but people who are at the start of their journeys you know I think just putting one foot in front of the other and one word in front of the next and taking small steps and giving yourself the psychological space to believe that what you're doing is important is is the biggest thing because that's like what the masters and the murky books prize did for me they validated my dream and they told me you've this has got legs and you should be fueling this thing that you pretend is not important or you pretend going to Sainsbury's and doing the shop or like working an extra hour after work is more important but no this is and there's so much stuff that can get in the way of us following our dreams and get in the way of us being creative but I think creating that psychological space and validating giving yourself permission to follow it and take that step and put that word in front of the next word is the biggest gift that I had which led me here and that's the thing that I'd sort of try and stress to anyone who's trying to be creative is just keep doing it whether it's an hour a day or 15 minutes just keep keep hacking away at it (laughs) 
What does creativity mean to you? It's the question we ask all of our guests and it's the question we want to hear your answers on. This is an open call for the Series 3 community-led episode of Artists in Residence where we ask members of the Artists in Residence community to submit their answer. All you've got to do is send in a recording about two to three minutes long where you explain who you are, what creativity means to you and how that manifests in your day-to-day life. Send that through to hello at artistsinresidence.fyi and we'd be delighted to feature you on the next episode. Mm